We Are History uh, with me, Angela Barnes. And me, John O'Farrell. What are we talking about today, Angela? Ah, uh, this is a fun one today because it's the last one in our series. It's a bit like the equivalent of on the last day of term when they let you bring games in and just play all day. <laughs> this is games history. We are having a fun one today. We are talking about the very serious topic of Eurovision. Eurovision Song Contest, indeed. Yes. I think people will think that I chose this, but actually, <laughs> I just want to make it clear that Mr. John Sirius O'Farrell chose this. Le Grand Prix Eurovision de la Chanson Européenne. <laughs> Ooh, have you been practicing that? No, I've got three French O levels. <laughs> uh, I kept failing and kept getting an O, so. <laughs> Kept failing the A-level. Um, so, um, yes, sometimes, um, you know, usually history is stuff that's important and world-changing and, you know, has consequences. But sometimes mm-hmm. you can look at history and it's the the way that you can witness those changes taking place. And I think that's what mm. Eurovision is. It's not, a, it's not a Viking invasion, notwithstanding Norway's 1992 entry. Uh, but um, it's, um, it's not the Black Death, you know, but it is a way uh, in which we can sort of monitor the shifting cultural and musical and social attitudes across yeah, the continent. It's sort of a filter, isn't it, to look at it's history a, through. It's a mirror European in which we see through. ourselves, Angela. Yes, it is. <laughs> but also well, we're both chance. sort of quite obsessive about 20th century European history. Yeah. That's how, or certainly my obsession. So to see it through what happened in the Eurovision Song Contest is quite interesting. Yeah, and you see changes in you know borders, power blocks, preferred languages. And also, you know, the Will Ferrell film is just out, very timely. Um, I saw You'd that, I quite it, enjoyed it. I, I did, I thought it was quite fun. I mean, it's too long, like the Eurovision Song Contest, actually. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's uh, got some good jokes in it, and it's good fun. It's all it's very much in the spirit of Eurovision, with loads of cameos uh, from various mm. Eurovision stars in it. So, yeah, it's recommended if you don't expect too much. Yeah. I think if you're going in to watch a Will Ferrell film expecting too much, then that's really on you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so so the book I think we both read for this was uh, yes. Eurovision by Chris West. Yes, uh, indeed. tracks the history of the continent along with the competition. So it's sort of like the Berlin Wall came down, but at Eurovision, you know, so he sort of tries to <laughs> yeah. crowbar the two together. But it's a good fun read. Um, yeah. It does it sort of year by year. Um, yeah. And, it's and it is, although it's, you know, some of the, the history in it is sort of more opinion than fact. <laughs> I think it's quite a good little romp through the shape of the 20th century history, isn't it? It's yeah, quite, yes. Absolutely. Quite, yeah, yeah. You quickly, yeah, quickly get through sort of, you know, uh, the big crash, the financial crash or whatever, or get used to gay people. That's all yeah. interesting to have in context. So should yeah. we start at the beginning? Start at the very beginning. So World War Two has finished. No. I like to go back a bit, you know okay, me. Okay, that's good, yeah. Um, <laughs> and we're in a Europe where we're trying to foster positive relations, aren't we? Yes, very much so. Uh, and uh, part of that is the EBU. The uh, European Broadcasting Union uh, was based in Switzerland. And um, the Italian mm-hmm. there, uh, Sergi Pugliese, suggested a Europe-wide mm-hmm. song festival, like something they had in Italy already. There was the San Remo Music Festival. That's uh, right. That already existed in Italy. Yes, and this would be an experiment in live broadcasting, which was quite a big deal in 1955 when this was conceived. But you have to remember in 1955 also, across the continent of Europe, seven people had televisions. Um, yeah, so, right. so the idea of, oh, this will bring the country together, well, it'll bring the rich people together. It'll, it'll bring, yeah, at least yeah. 50 people yeah. together. Yeah. It's, I think it's worth 
sort of remembering as well, you know, this is pre-satellites. Like, to broadcast across the continent was yeah. quite a I'm, feat. There's, there's a bit of footage you can um, see on YouTube of... Um, uh, Richard Dimbleby uh, broadcasting live from Calais, and they make such a. This is 1950, and they may say they make right. such a massive deal that these pictures are coming to you live across the English Channel, uh, and this was you know only wow. five years earlier. So to have uh, yeah. to try and coordinate all the voting and the singing and everything and broadcast it across the continent was an ambitious project in 1955. Absolutely. So the first so. year then was 56. Mm-hmm. Year of Elvis Presley, the year of political turmoil, and the year of some rather staid men in dinner jackets standing by pianos in black and white in blurry televisions and ladies in ball gowns uh, singing yeah, in French. Not quite the, the, the sort of spandex-laden feast that we know today, <laughs> was it, in 1956? No, and it was uh, um, very, just very... Seven... Uh, just seven countries, very much the sort of core countries that sort of founded the European Union as well, really. It's those, mm. um, if you exclude Switzerland, it's those sort of mm. Betty Lux countries, the low countries, and Germany, France, Italy. So uh, it's West Germany, Belgium, France, Italy, Luxembourg, the Netherlands and Switzerland were the core. Right. And apparently Austria, Denmark and United Kingdom wanted to enter, but they got their forms in late. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's the, so, uh, so didn't. The, 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 French, the French people were saying, no, it's not possible. Not. It was de Gaulle going, <laughs> no. No, go to the lost property, fourth floor. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, it was held in Switzerland, the very first one. Now, Luxembourg couldn't send two judges, so they asked the Swiss if they would fill those two spaces. Tina, shush. Guess who won that year, Angela? Hmm, now let me, let me do the maths. Switzerland had two extra judges, yes. you're telling me. Hmm, um, who won? And they won by <laughs> one vote. The Swiss allegedly won by one vote, so it was fixed from the very beginning. Of course, it was all behind closed doors voting, wasn't it then? It wasn't like now where you have the scoreboards and the phone-in and everything. Yeah, and yeah. that first one was, I think it was 58 when it became more open, the voting. Yes, and they had two songs each in that very first year because there were only seven countries and they thought, how are we going to pad this out? Not a problem <laughs> these days, let it be said. No, no. <laughs> the UK managed to enter the following year, finished seventh. Got their forms in on time. They got their forms in time, but uh, finished seventh out of nine. The, mm. the phrase Eurovision was coined by a British journalist, George Campy of the London Evening Standard. Eurovision refers to the Broadcasting Union, doesn't yes. it? Because it was coined in 51, like yes. long before the song contest it's now associated with did you know they came together in a hotel in Torquay that's when that broadcast did they really union was formed. <laughs> yeah a, I don't mention 19, the war exactly. I mentioned it once but I think I got away with it <laughs> oh god oh, I did not dear. know that oh that's that's a good yeah, bit of there trivia you go. so in the 50s as I say it was a very staid and conservative mm. event with rock and roll sweeping America and Europe so it didn't, wasn't really in tune with the music of the time uh, but in 1959 the UK came second Ooh. And Britain, can you believe it, holds the record for being runners-up. Oh, really? Yeah. We used to have a real advantage, I think, for singing in English. Yeah. Uh, but when everyone was supposed to sing in their native language. Well, the rules kept changing with that, they didn't did. they? I they think did. we'll come to that in a bit. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think if you sang in French or English, you were at a major advantage because they were the two languages that were yeah. most widely Absolutely. understood across Europe. It was sort of dominated by French language, really, in the early years. Uh, with mm. Luxembourg, Belgium, Monaco coming in later, France, obviously, yeah. um, Switzerland. So you had to, like the chansons were very popular in the yeah. 50s, weren't they? That you're sort of, yeah. 
Yes, you're sort French of, you're crooners. Sort, you're sort of uh, Edith Piafs, yeah, Charles mm. Trenet, that sort of, you know, that style. One very early hit uh, came out in 1958, Volaire. Is that how you pronounce it? Volaire? Volare? Volare. Uh, Volare. Volare. Okay. Oh. See, I don't know how na, that goes. Na, I'm not, na, I don't know this song. Oh, you do know it. It, you definitely know. If you've ever been in a lift in your life, then you know that song. Oh, okay, okay. Well, it was a US number one. It was covered by <laughs> Dean Martin, Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, even Cliff Richard. So it must be quality. Oh, well. Uh, but that's yes. uh, that was the first sort of really big hit to come out of Eurovision. And that was 1958. 58. So that was like it, the second, third. Yeah, third one. Uh, yeah, that was Italy's uh, hit, which I don't think won. Mm. It was a beginning of a tr- tradition of Eurovision songs that were the most popular on the night, but didn't sway the judges Mm. Uh, there's been a few of those down the years always Mm. very non-political they didn't allow political messages or protest songs a few snuck in though right they did they did uh 1961 you'd want to talk about that do um yeah in 1961 we had new les amoureux by jean-claude pascal and uh it was a story of forbidden love love forbidden by religion and uh, a wish that he and his lover could carry on their relationship without controversy. So it was clearly a song about being gay. The, and that's, um, of course, yeah, it was a time when homosexuality was illegal across most of Europe. Yeah. And yeah. Back, so that was, what, 61? Yeah. 61. So, yeah, and it came was... first. They voted for yeah. it. Maybe they didn't really know what they were singing about. But, or uh, they did and, you yeah, know, they were, it was the, a little point little to message. be made. That's good. Yeah, yeah I think I'll, we should go for that. that they, they saw the politics. Yeah, let's and... say that. <laughs> But gay people would never show any interest in Eurovision ever again. That's right, John. Yes, that was the first and last time homosexuality was ever linked to Eurovision. There was a protest in 1964. Um, Mm -hmm. Protesters invaded the stage and unveiled a banner saying, Boycott Franco and Salazar. Uh, who were the uh, Spanish and Portuguese dictators. Between them, Spain and Portugal that year only got one point. So the judges obviously went, right, we're not having that. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, so maybe they yeah. uh, were boycotting the protester or boycotting the dictators. Who knows? Well, I think probably because it was supposed to not be overtly political, that was probably the the Eurovision judges' way of going, now right. come on. We're not, right, you okay. Know. So they had to quickly, you know, uh, uh, deal with this sort of, they'd not had anything like this before. So it's quick cut mm. to camera two. Do we have a camera too? <laughs> How many cameras? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it was um, not really um, something they'd expected, but it would not be the last time, as we saw quite recently. No. Um, and then in 1965, that yeah. was the year that they brought in the rule that all songs had to be in the native language of, of the country. Ah, right. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's when the Francophone and English songs really got an advantage then, because if, you know, Norwegian songs were having to be sung in Norwegian and no yeah. one else understood Norwegian, that puts them at you know, if you can't understand the lyrics, put them at a bit of a disadvantage with the judges. Yeah, good point. I'm 2% Norwegian, Angela, so that offends Are me. Are you? So. How do you work out 2%? Well, it's one of those DNA things oh, they've done. Oh, right. So, um, yeah. <laughs> DNA um, thing. I'm um, yes. 56% Irish, 40-something uh, percent English, 2% Norwegian, a little bit Narnia. A little bit Narnia in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the hooves. <laughs> it's the hooves. It's a giveaway. But yeah, no, I had one of those tests. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so countries like Finland and Norway were, were suffering from uh, not having been forced to sing yeah. in their own language. That rule did change over time. It, it, it went back and forth. It kept yeah. changing and then changing back again. And yeah, yeah so yeah. 
I'm not um, sure exactly how it stands now, but yeah. I think now you can sing whatever you want, can't you? Yeah, I think and so. Most of the languages were ring-a-ling-a-ling, bing-bang-bong, ding-a-ding-ding. Well, ding. yeah, <laughs> But I think that's why there were so many of those silly sort of yeah. Eurovision con- um, choruses, you know, with your yeah. bang-a-bangs, and, because they did translate, as it were. You could, yes. you know, yes. well, have nonsense words. I'm just jumping ahead a bit, but when the Spanish winner La 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 was recorded, which was, I think, 68, mm. um, the original was sung in Catalan, and Franco said, no, you've got to have it in Castilian Spanish. So uh, La 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 had to be in Spanish, not La 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 in Catalan. In Cat- which is a very big difference. Really. Absolutely. La 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 in Castilian um, and Catalan. But 1966, wow. there was the first black singer uh, from the Netherlands. Mm. Well done, Netherlands. Yeah. Um, Although, um, you know, it took 10 years before they had a... A black singer. There'd, there'd been an Indonesian, I think, again right. in the Netherlands. The year before. An Indonesian singer the year before. But uh, her name was Millie Scott, the first black singer right. in Eurovision. But unfortunately, they gave her a bit of a rubbish novelty song oh, to okay. sing. Her song was called, it was something like Fernando the Filipino. Fernando? That's never going to be Fernando really the it? Filipino was the name of her song. So, And it only got two votes. Um. So... There you go. <laughs> there's a there's just a segue here, but uh, just to completely uh, change the subject, my daughter made me watch Mamma Mia two the other night. This is slightly Eurovision related since oh, right. our ABBA feature, but there's a bit where Cher <laughs> looks across the room at old man and goes, "Fernando." <laughs> It's like, oh, oh what song are they going to do now? When I was in the are cinema, I saw that. Are they going to do Chickatita next? <laughs> yeah. Are they? The whole cinema burst out laughing when that happened. It's like, really? <laughs> What's his name? Fernando. Excellent work. Oh, well done, man. those guys. There was a little bit of a feminist moment in 1966. We had the first black singer and we had the first time a lady appeared. Wait for it, John. Are you sitting down? Wearing trousers. That's... What is what is happening to the world? What were Norway <laughs> thinking? Now I'm gonna. My Norwegian pronunciation's not good. Again, Her name you're is spelt. Me. I think it's something like Asia Cleveland. Yeah, Asia, that, it's ASE, as, but I think it'd be like Asia, maybe Asia. Yeah, as I'm part Norwegian, I'll just nod. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you just you just tolerate. But she, yeah, she went on to be Norway Minister of Culture under Groholm Brundtland. Yes. <laughs> yes. So what we do is we're good Norwegian today. Um, but yeah, uh, let's just get down to the really important historical stuff. I said this wasn't important historically, but mm. 1967, UK wins. Come on. Get in. We've done World Cup 66, Next. Eurovision 67. What, what a bang, what, bang, bish, bash, bosh. Uh, <laughs> Sandy Shaw in her bare feet singing Puppet on a String. Yeah. Now, John, what did you admit... That you didn't realise till about a year ago. Sandy Shaw is a pun. <laughs> How did you miss that? Sandy Shaw. See, she's walking on the Sandy Shaw in her bare feet. Yes. I just got that. I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have to say, my music on my focus in the sixties was, I hope, on better music than that. Um, at the time of the Beatles and the Stones and the Kinks, you know, uh, we sent Cliff in 1968. Um, even Sandy Shaw wasn't keen on Puppet on a String. No, she didn't love that song. She's... No. No. Um, uh, but, you know, Swinging London came to Eurovision with her, you know, dancing around in her bare feet. And good for her. Yeah. Uh, in 68 with Cliff, he just lost out to Spain. And the rumour, which mm-hmm. I'd like to believe, is that Franco bribed the jury to secure a Spanish victory. And it's definitely true right. that because I read it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... 
There's a lot of questions there. Yeah, aren't there? let's unpack that. <laughs> yeah. How exactly he bribed the jury? It's on the internet, Angela. You okay, can't fine. argue with I'm that. Yeah. I, I Those Cliff Richard conspiracy theorists <laughs> are the worst. <laughs> so his song was Congratulations, but he came second. So it's sort of like uh, uh, semi-congratulations, Cliff. Um, <laughs> and uh, It was La La La, the song we talked about before. That's right. One, yeah, right? yeah. But Lulu comes back in 69 with Britain. Is she going to win it? Ooh, Who's going to be the outright crossed. winner? Is the outright She's singing boom, bang, a bang, boom, bang, a bang. I love you. Oh, she yes. wins, but so do three other countries. And they had, yeah. they had no mechanism for dealing with this. So it was like a four-way tie. Well, didn't they have the sort of adjudicator was weirdly on set, like sat at a desk or something, Oh, right. I read. And the, the, the host sort of turned to him and went, um, what do we do? There's a four-way tie. And he went, they all win. And it's like, oh, okay, um, <laughs> how are we going to do this? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, did they all win then? Uh, okay. And that was the policy, basically. So, yeah. yeah. And then, and then the following year, yeah, the British Isles uh, is represented again, and uh, someone who came from somewhere within the British borders, mm-hmm. but she's playing for Ireland, and it's Dana, straight to Donna. number one with all kinds of everything. Now oh, that was a lovely Dana. She was fir- only young, wasn't she? She was like 19? nineteen or something. She was like this sweet pub singer from all Derry. Kinds of everything oh, it could be Donna in the room is this Donna take off that Angela Barnes mask <laughs> <laughs> so this was a massive deal in my house my dad being Irish this is the year that the troubles broke out in Northern Ireland uh, yeah when she was from Derry, Derry right? she was from the bog side yeah. and um, mm. she'd done all her performing in the south in Dublin and places but there she was representing Ireland and then you look it up on YouTube her coming back from Eurovision they're all waiting at the airport so, Donna, you got any more hits in the verse next, Donna? Oh, I've hardly had time to even think about it. It's all been so uh, unbelievable. And all the nuns are there taking her away and sort of uh, uh, applauding her. And they're sort of, it's a great moment for Ireland, really. Yeah, She went absolutely. on to be a, a member of the European Parliament for Connacht. Yeah. Ran for president. I think she had some pretty dodgy abortion views. So we'll just concentrate on her mm. lovely song. Unfortunately, uh, quite mainstream in uh, Northern Ireland. And well, time. and Ireland. She was in the standing in the and south. Ireland, yeah. Uh, yeah, but UK runner-up that year was uh, Mary Hopkins. So we're second again. With do you remember this song? Mm-hmm. Knock knock. Who's there? Mary Hopkins. Do you remember that no. one? Oh God. Okay. Before was, my time, John. I don't. I know you, you still know, weren't born. I wasn't born in 1970, I'm afraid. Oh, God. We were sitting around at Spitting Image once, and we had this. We thought we'd play a trick on the producer, Bill Dare. We said, let's pitch the worst comedy idea that we can think of and all pretend it's hilarious. And uh, we, got the, we got the runners and everyone to be in on it. So we said to, we said to Bill Dare, so oh, we've got this song idea, Bill. Uh, it's, it's about Neil Kinnock. Are you ready? You ready? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's a great one, Bill. Kinnock, Kinnock, who's there? This must be Labour calling. And we all <laughs> fell about laughing. And he's going, <laughs> I don't get it. What, what's the joke? Bill, Kinnock, Kinnock, you know Neil Kinnock and the song Knock Knock, yeah? Kinnock, Kinnock, who's there? This must be Labour calling. <laughs> And then the runner comes in and we go, look, do it to him. And he f- was brilliant. He fell about laughing and was going, oh, that's, you've got to do that, Bill. That's brilliant. He's going, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't see it. I don't, it just doesn't seem, it seems a bit shit. And uh, we kept it going for ages. So every time I hear knock, knock, there's there. Do you All know I can what, is- though? That to me shows that Bill Dare is a 
great person at his job because anyone who wasn't a great producer would have gone, well, they all think it's funny. I'd better, better laugh and join yeah, in. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit shit. Which I, I think I might have been in that latter camp. I bet I would have gone, oh, God, they all find this funny and I don't get it. I'd better laugh. <laughs> a complete uh, uh, diversion there. But, uh, yeah, Mary Hopkins coming second again. 1971, 18 mm. countries Ah, oh, but hang now. on a minute. You've missed Whoa. out. Come on. Who made their debut in 1970, John? Ah, former goalkeeper of Real Madrid. Julio Inglésiev. Oh, your mother loves him. To all, all the girls I, I loved him. before. There's <laughs> <laughs> going to be a lot of singing in this a lot, episode. A lot of pub singing. We should have done it. At I apologise. I would like the listeners to remember that I am hard of hearing, and my singing definitely reflects that. So <laughs> I apologise now. 1971, UK countered the victory of Dana from Catholic Northern Ireland by entering an Ulster Protestant. Mm. Poor Clodagh Rogers, she's got death threats from the IRA and uh, UK uh, didn't win. But by 1971, it was really a big deal, Eurovision. Mm. 18 countries taking part, all in Western Europe, of course. 250 million viewers by now. That's incredible. Yeah. In 72, the Irish entered a song in Gaelic. So good luck with that. Absolute disaster. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's... But it's true. The singing English was a huge advantage, as you say, uh, which is why we kept yeah. coming second. But after 1973... Countries didn't have to sing in their native language. And this uh, probably done to annoy the French. Mm. So well, you the French could... were always, always did well, didn't they? Because Yeah, French language songs were always winning, winning it, yeah. yeah. So you could so... say that this, f- this was when the French language dominance on the competition... <clears throat> Where's this going? It, 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 it met its Waterloo. Sanguilla, yeah, I'm just going to do that. I, 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 think I, go, I think I could do that again. It was as if the French language dominance of the competition... Had met its Waterloo. Welcome back. We left you with Waterloo by the ABBA group as they were introduced in 1974. Why didn't they stick with that? <laughs> uh, yes, their conductor had come on dressed as Napoleon and everyone thought, oh, this is going to be awful. Um, this was all down in your manor. Angela, it was. Down in Brighton. It was at the Dome in Brighton. Where famous comedian Angela Barnes lives. Um, but uh, yeah, if you listen to that now on YouTube, if you listen to uh, uh, them singing Waterloo, it sounds a bit karaoke, actually. It's not as good as the one you just heard, but... But they were the runaway winners mm. and became the most successful act ever launched by the competition. It's weird to think, isn't it, that no one knew who ABBA was before? No, they were just, I mean, they were known in Sweden, I think. Uh, but I think they became yeah. Sweden's biggest export in the late 70s. That's Bigger than amazing. Volvo, you know, uh, was ABBA yeah. records. Wow. Something else interesting about the 1974 competition. Portugal's entry was the signal to oh, yes. launch the Carnation Revolution. You heard us talking about Salazar, the um, Estado yeah. Novo uh, Estado dictator. Novo regime. Yeah. There was an uprising against that uh, dictatorship, which was triggered that when, when the Portuguese song was played on the Portuguese radio. Uh, not not yeah. in the competition itself, but just beforehand. And that was the, the signal to take over the important places like the post office and the uh, telephone exchange. It was quite a, a civilised coup, wasn't it? Apparently it was. no shots fired. No shots. It's um, called the Carnation Revolution because it's so peaceful. And the following year yeah. in 75, the Portuguese singer wore a red carnation in his lapel. As a little yes. marker. So well done, Portugal. So once ABBA had become so successful, everyone tried to sort of start copying that two guys, two gals thing. So 76, England yeah. comes along with Brotherhood of Man, the poor man's ABBA. Ah, 
But runaway winner. Kisses for me. Kisses for me, save all for your me, kisses for all me. Kisses I was on my French the song exchange. It's really creepy till it gets to the last line, and then you go, "Oh, actually, all right, not so creepy." Uh, she's three though. I don't know. But well, actually, John, come on now. It's just a bit. It's the shit song, but outsold Waterloo. <laughs> Can you believe it? So more copies than Waterloo. Um, Did it really? Yeah, incredible. Wow. But not much more than ABBA altogether, I suppose. Of course, all this time the Eastern Bloc were looking over and thinking. Oh, this isn't fair. We've got no, we want to be part of that. So they invented their own Eurovision called Intervision. Intervision. What I love about it is that Finland entered both Eurovision and Intervision. Well done, Finland. Finland sort of straddled yeah. the East West divide there, quite literally. Good for them. Did you read about how this was voted upon? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so. It was done by people in the country were told to turn on their lights if they liked a song yeah, and turn off their lights if they didn't. And so it would be measured on the national grid as to which songs were most popular. From each country. They could each, 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 each national grid had somebody there going, it's going up, it's going down on the sort of consumption yeah. of electricity. And that's how Chernobyl happened. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's quite an assumption that everybody is watching it, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes. So people just, be just randomly ke- turning their lights on, putting the kettle on. Yeah, they might just say, know, oh, let's go make cup of tea, what's the other channel? But yeah, um, the EBU, of course, wasn't just Western Europe, uh, it included countries outside of Europe. And in uh, 1972, mm. Israel had started uh, taking part. Every time the Israel song came on, Arab countries would cut to a commercial break. But yeah. in 78, Israel looked like the runaway winner. And so uh, Jordan stopped broadcasting altogether and just put up a, a picture of some daffodils. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, <laughs> nothing to see here. Just look at this. <laughs> uh, and 78 was when Norway got null point. That was the, uh, yeah. that was the famous Norway null point. null point. And they always do impressions, don't they, of Royaume-Uni null point. Null point. But nobody ever yeah. says that because you, you only get points when you're voted for. So they don't... Oh, yes. So it's a, it's a sort of a myth, I think. Do they at the end, though, maybe? I suppose yeah. they've got zero points at the end when they do the roundup. Yeah, I maybe. suppose they'll say yeah. nul point. And I think, yeah, because you don't... That's a really good point. I've never occurred <laughs> to me before. Why would you say the people that you yeah, gave but... no points to? So into go. the 80s. We're into the 80s, Angela. Ah, uh, now we're getting into my era, John. <laughs> 1980s, quite interesting. Um, because of the oil price crisis in 79... Everyone was skint, so no one wanted to host it. Right. So the Dutch volunteered in the end. Yeah. And one of my best mates is Dutch, one of my bridesmaids, in fact. And um, if she's oh, anything she from to go Holland. by... She's from Holland. She's from the <laughs> Netherlands. <laughs> and um, if she's anything to go by, like, they are... Euro- she is Eurovision mad, and you can't take the piss out of it with Okay. Her. It wow. is serious stuff. But it is so it taking is. the piss. loves it. It's so taking the piss out of itself now, isn't it, Eurovision? That's what's the sort of joy it of it. It is really. now. But I do think like she properly loves it. And wow. um Yeah, so the, anyway, the Dutch they volunteered to host it in nineteen eighty. And who won that year? It was good Ireland. Old Johnny Logan. Second of many wins for the Emerald Isle. Yeah, well he he's the only person ever, isn't he, Johnny Logan, to have won it twice. And the second time he won it was in 1987 with a song called Hold Me Now, which was one of my dad's favourite songs. And it is bloody awful, but it? it still makes me cry because it reminds me of my dad. He, yeah, oh, he also composed another winning song as well. So he's won it twice, oh, I think, yeah. written two songs that have won it. It's also the year you, know, you start to get those So Good It's Bad entries. Luxembourg did a song called Papa Penguin. Um, <laughs> and uh, it basically... Um, 
it was dressed the bloke was dressed up as a penguin i think oh no it's a backing singer dressed in a giant penguin costume and he he tripped over a, a stair 11 <laughs> bars into it and uh, i don't think the singer ever really recovered but um it'd be good to have imagined what terry wogan or katie boyle were saying in the background oh well, we'll come on to terry wogan a bit yeah. later won't we but um yeah the year he started hosting it regularly was 1980 oh, right, so, yeah, he'd done it on uh, irish radio i think in the back in the day but, yeah uh, he did it a couple of times in the 70s the commentary but then he right. started doing it every year from 1980 um, 81, another UK win. This is hard to remember, ah. isn't it? Bucks Fizz, ripping their skirts off. One of my favourite lines of a song ever. Which is? Don't let your inhibitions take you from behind. <laughs> okay. Why is that so interesting? Don't know. No idea, John. <laughs> um, and there was a sort of a cheeky thing, wasn't it? There was sort of another two, two gals and two guys sub-ABBA thing. Yes. But everyone remembers the skirts coming off halfway through the song. It's like, oh, that's marvellous. Oh, I like that. And it's like, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes, vote for them. Vote for them with their skirts coming off. It is a good tune, though, making your mind up. It's a riot. It's, it's a it's, good pop song. It's, Come it's on, no John. Dana. Don't snob. It's no Dana. <laughs> <laughs> um... 82. This is your, I think I'm going to hand over to you now because you've got things. Uh, My notes came back to me with about 10 paragraphs here from Angela. (laughs) Yes, I won't, I won't, I'll I'll skip over it. But 82 was my vintage Eurovision year, the best one ever. For a start, I had the first ever Eurovision rock guitar solo from Finland. They came last, but you know, started a pattern. Fantastic. But I have two seven inch singles that I still own from 1982 Eurovision. And the first is uh, the British entry, which was Bardo, One Step Further. Right? No... Now, I sat down with my parents, I little six-year-old, or no, five-year-old I would have been then, Angela, sat down with her parents to watch Bardo, One Step Further. And then this woman came on, this German woman called Nicole, in a black dress with a white acoustic guitar. And she sang a song called Ein bisschen Frieden, which means a little peace. And I got obsessed with her. I made oh. my primary school teacher, who we used to do guitar club at school. I was I wanted to paint my guitar white. My mum wouldn't oh, let me. Oh, but I made him teach me how to play oh. a little piece on my little guitar. And, um, and you bought like that record as well? when winter begins. Oh, yeah, still got it. Just like a... Oh, Go sing it, Angela. Sing it. Go on, sing no, it No, I'm us. not, because I can't on. sing to save my life. No, I'm not going to. But do listen to it. It's gorgeous. A little and piece. That was my, and of course, it was called A Little Piece. And it was the year when Green and Common was a really big deal. And you listen to our previous episode on the Abel Archer 83, and you'll see all the stuff that was going on in 82 and 83. So to have a song from Germany, from West Germany, called A Little Piece... Getting 12 points from Israel. Which was a big deal yeah. to get 12 points from Israel for a German country. That yeah. was the first time that had happened. Because we were we were in the middle of the Falklands and no one was voting for us. No one voted for us. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we did. Yeah. And it was a good song. I stand by that. I still like the song. One, one step further and I would have been there. Yeah. Do, 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 do. yeah anyway. Um, um, but so Bardo, you basically abandoned abandoned your British cheering for Bardo and switched to Germany. And you've had a love of I, Germany ever thinks and all things German. And... I have. I think it's where it started. I oh, that's, genuinely that's... do think it's where it started with Nicole and the 1982 Eurovision. Thank um, you, Nicole. But yeah, yeah, we did really badly because uh, it was the Falklands and no one voted for us. And the French didn't even enter because Mitterrand had just won the French election and his mi- Minister of Culture was so snobby and thought it was so vulgar and awful Eurovision that he wouldn't let France take it was part. beneath them. <laughs> they came back the following yeah. year. 
Ooh. By this yeah. point, they were doing announcements in three languages, you know, English, French and German. So in 83, <laughs> it took 16 minutes before they got to the first song. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the Turkish song that year is often cited as the worst ever. It's got opera, jazz and back to opera again. And they were just disgraced. They threw all home. the shit at the wall, didn't they? Turkey? They were like, we'll do all the styles in yeah, one song. Yeah. And they, he went back um, home and he was told he'd let the entire nation down. Yeah. Well, they were they were really trying to impress Europe when they? they wanted to be part of Europe. Yeah. Um, and they genuinely thought that he'd done so badly that I like to call it Turkey's Turkey. Oh, John. very good. See what I've done there. See what he did. Uh, but he'd done so badly that they felt it damaged their chances of ever being accepted into Europe. And Turkey's he ended up Turkey. living the rest of his life as a recluse. Yeah. Guys, thinking and now he's going to hear this, and he's going to hear you just call it Turkey's Turkey. He's, he's going to be back into <laughs> back into therapy again. So yeah, I mean the popularity of the countries, you know, at any given point was reflected in the voting. I think mm. in '84 England was booed because uh, mm. football hooliganism had been you know, running right across the country. Uh, yeah, well, it was and, held in Luxembourg, and that's exactly where hooliganism. I think just six months earlier, had, right. Um, yeah, and then uh, uh, the, you know, some people thought it was a common agricultural policy, but I'm not sure the uh, the, the, the average Eurovision fan is into that. We're too worried about that, no. Sweden comes back in 85 again. What was the, what? Uh, my, my favourite song title? Oh, I've got two favourite song titles Go on. from the whole of Eurovision. One is 1985 uh, with Bra Vibrationer. Um, which to be fair it means good vibrations in Sweden but Bra Vibrationer is a great I I might do a show called Bra Vibrationer Um, and my second favourite it goes back to 1978 my second favourite title ever of a song in Eurovision was just called it was from Austria and it was called Mrs Caroline Robinson okay which um, apparently is about a witch turned sex goddess Okay. Um, because nothing says sex goddess like the name Caroline Robinson. Sorry to any Caroline Robinsons listening. I'm sure that's you are funny. a sex goddess. Yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah, you can see that Eurovision was changing with mm. uh, more risque songs. And uh, Europe, of course, is changing too, Angela. You see how I brought the two mm. together there. Uh, well you know, done. You're the, the king the, of the segue today. The Berlin Wall is coming down. Um, yes. They'd had two songs about the wall in 1990. They did very badly. Maybe yeah. that's from Germany. Once the wall came down 9th of November 1989. You were there. My 13th birthday. Oh, no, 13th I think I might birthday. have mentioned it yeah. once or yeah, twice. You have done. You have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then suddenly you've got all these new countries wanting to take part, you know, Macedonia and Bosnia mm. and you know everything. So they had so many entrants that they ruled that the worst performing countries couldn't come back next year. Finally, a bit of bloody jeopardy in the Yeah, relegation. <laughs> it's like, yeah. so Luxembourg's, one of the originals, was, right. was, was stopped from coming back. And they, they went off in a huff and never came back. They were like, they we were there in the back, Luxembourg. I don't think they have. That's what it said in the book. It said yeah. they walked out permanently. Oh. So, yeah. Come on, Luxembourg. Yeah. It was years ago. Come on, come so, back. So, Ireland. Let's go back to Ireland. 1990s. Yes. Ireland yes. just kept winning. Ireland it. ruled. Yeah. And, and they, they, but the thing was, it became a bit of a pain for them because, of course, the winner hosts it. They're sort of bankrupting mm. the Irish nation, having to host Eurovision every year. It was a little town of Mill Street down in the south in Munster there. 1993, some local entrepreneur goes, well, we'll do it in the town. We'll do it in the town. Uh, me and the boys. So we'll put a stage up in the square. And they did. They did it. They, they put the whole thing. And the government said, all right, if you reckon you can put on Eurovision in your little town, uh, somebody should do a movie about Off this. Because they did Eurovision in like yeah. a two-horse town in the, in the south of the uh, Republic. I was doing a sketch show on Radio 4 then. And uh, we did a parody of uh, the Irish song, which was like, so, because they were so determined to lose, we had sort of like, yeah. Oh, well, I'll play it. We'll see if, see if we can play a little clip of it. Yeah. So yeah that Kate was, Robbins, didn't you, sang yeah, it? That was Kate Robbins singing that, who actually uh, she was represented in England back in 
1980. So we've got her doing our Eurovision parody. We've got a parody sung by an actual Eurovision. The Belgians are fat. The English love animals. Let's strangle the cat. We hope that this ballad has made it quite clear. We don't want to host your damn contest next year. Thank you. And of course, Father Ted did My Lovely Horse as a possible Irish entry, which... Uh, best uh, episode ever. Yeah, which is a great one. Yeah. But well, 94. The best thing, the best thing of any now. of this, this is where I get on my Irish patriotic horse again, is River Dance. <laughs> I never forget watching Riverdance and ringing my dad up afterwards and going, that was incredible. Did you see well, that? Well, for people dad? who don't know, I mean, it was the 1994 song contest in right. Dublin. Right. Right. At the point in Dublin. Yeah. It was a big deal that year anyway, because it was the first year that four former Soviet bloc countries, a couple of Baltic states yeah. and Russia itself had joined in. So you suddenly had 25 entrants. Yeah. In the competition, yeah. the more than there'd ever been. A week before that, the Channel Tunnel had just opened. So yeah. Europe's looking different. Yeah. And then you've got this amazing set in sort Dublin of. that had been built for it. And the interval happens. And you think, Michael oh, normally Flatley it's some... and Gene Butler yeah. come out. Well, I know you're very Irish and patriotic, John, and that river dance means a lot to you, but I will just remind people that in 1974, we had the Wombles. <laughs> the rest so... of Europe didn't have the Wombles on their telly. So it was like, yeah. uh, what the hell's this thing going on? The Wombles. <laughs> what the fuck uh, is this? But, uh, <laughs> no, but when Gene Butler and Michael Flatley did that dancing, I had no, yeah, I was blown away. and uh, It was mesmerising. And I rang my dad up immediately afterwards, and he was, he'd rung his brother up. It was, that's a, oh. it's like, a, it was a big deal. Cracking. Yeah, yeah. My voice is cracking when I think about it. And, oh, um, John. I wanted my daughter to learn Irish dancing. She's like, I'm not bloody doing that, Dad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say, I thought Wogan got the mood wrong then because everyone's going, that was incredible. He's going, oh, steady on. Oh, well, he was, he was trying to take the piss out of it. And it was like, yeah. I, I mean, Wogan was great for Eurovision. He was always uh, pleasantly uh, sardonic about the over-the-top acts. Uh, but when mm. I think when the, when it sailed to the very greatest heights as it did that year, uh, I don't think he quite got the mood right because everyone well, loved it. Well, Wogan, should we do a little Wogan yeah. segue? Because I read a really interesting article about him from 2016. So he presented it for 35 years wow. until Graham Norton took over in, I think it's not longer than that, is it 38 years? I think it's uh, 2008. Yeah. Um, Graham Norton took over and and his shtick was he did the sort of wry sardonic yes. asides and, and did take the piss a little bit which, which let's good. be honest was brilliant <laughs> yeah. television yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. and made it worth watching um, but in 2016 so in the run up to the Brexit referendum. Yeah. The Swedish Eurovision producer that year was a guy called Krista Bjorkman. And he launched this. And Terry Wogan had just died as well. Right. And he launched this attack against Terry Wogan. No. He said it created a generation of Britons who see the show as irrelevant and kitsch, which, <laughs> newsflash <laughs> guys, it is. Um, he said it hadn't helped the British perception of Europe. Sandy Shaw came out at the same time. And she said that the BBC used the event to make fun of and belittle other countries. And that we always right. send our worst offerings instead of our best. Um, and if we sent our best, it would help the raise the standard of everyone. And they were basically the thing that they were sort of blaming the anti-Europe sentiment right, so, so. in Britain on, on Terry <laughs> Wogan. Brexit happened because Wogan has a funny sense of humour. Because Wogan took the piss out <laughs> yeah. of some... 
No, and I, I just think, no, think that and out. there was a good counterbalance to that to prove that wasn't the case because yes, you had Wogan on one side, but on the other side, you had Henry Kelly and going for gold, and they he did wonders for European relations. Because right. to me, when I think of Europe as a union, yeah. I think of those wonderful contestants waving on going for gold, and. Uh, <laughs> I think we all enjoyed Wogan's sort of um, lack of reverence for it. And I think it was sort of appropriate. Absolutely. But it's, uh, I think there was, you know, the, the attitude to countries and the way they were voted for, you know, was reflected in the results. And that's became, it became clear as the Eastern European countries entered it that there was block voting going on. You know, uh, Cyprus was always voting for Greece and, you know, yeah. um, all this always went on. In 97, when Labour had its landslide on the 1st of May. You have to remember that Thatcher and Major had been very against Europe and Europe had got very fed up with that Conservative government. Two days later, yeah. Blair was elected with a pro-European landslide and then UK won a landslide with Katrina and the waves. Um, and yes. It was almost as if it was like uh, two landslides uh, in one weekend. I think that, that episode, the 97 episode, was the last episode I ever watched of Eurovision. I actually sat really? and watched it all. And the reason I watched it, I was doing a night shift at the time. Wow. Um, I, I was at university, but I was working in an old people's home and I was doing a night shift. And so Blimey. I had Eurovision on all night. Yeah. I was so excited about the election it. result and I talked to a neighbour about it. said, wasn't it brilliant? She goes, oh, I watched all of that. I said, me too, Portillo. She goes, oh, I'm so sure Ireland were going to win again. <laughs> oh, oh, you're talking about Eurovision. You're not talking about the election. Um <laughs> That was also the year that was, uh, amazingly, it's 97, yeah, it's not that long ago, but it's the first year there was an openly gay entrant. Uh, Iceland uh, uh, had a... It's mad, a, a, isn't it? Yeah. It was that recent. And, but so, you know, the social attitudes were different before 97. Labour would change a lot of yeah. the laws, um, lower the age yeah. of consent and bring in um, uh, civil partnerships. Europe it was already a big sort of camp fest and hugely popular yeah. with gay audiences. Which is why uh, it does seem, 97 does seem late to have an yeah. openly gay entrant when it, it was yeah. already, like you say, a camp celebration by that point. And then in 1998, social attitudes clearly changing uh, very rapidly when Adana International won it for Israel. First transsexual winner, Angela. Yeah, first transsexual winner. Um, yeah. Dana, clearly referencing the Dana of uh, 1970. Yeah. But yeah, and people were prepared to vote for, for Dana uh, International. Yeah. And uh, it was and a she big had a win. big win as well. It wasn't a... Yeah. Like it was a... Clearly a major cultural shift was happening. Uh, yeah, And absolutely. there were death threats. 2002, there was a drag act representing Slovenia. Yeah. Uh, maybe that affected their applications to join the EU. I don't know. <laughs> Could uh, <be. laughs> Uh, but it's about this time that UK's decline starts, and uh, yes. you could see you could actually see the voting blocks sort of falling away. So as I say, Terry Wogan takes over. Terry Wogan retires in two thousand and eight. Graham uh, Norton takes over, and sort of I think I can't think of anyone really better to take the baton from Terry absolutely, Wogan than absolutely. Graham Norton. Two thousand fourteen, you had Conchita Wurst, yeah, uh, winning for winning or entering for winning. Uh, did she win? I think she I won. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, she won, yeah, apparently. So that was our, the... our producer is nodding. Uh, yeah. Obviously a massive, our producer is obviously a massive Eurovision fan. Uh, yeah. There's a story around that time about a slightly political one from Azerbaijan. Uh, mm. No, from Armenia. And people in Armenia voting for the... Because you're doing it by telephone voting by now. People in Azerbaijan who were voting for the Armenian or texting their votes for the Armenian entry were visited by the police in wow. Azerbaijan saying, why were you texting your vote to Eurovision? So it's like, that's how much it meant to them. But that's much, how much of a police state that was. Gosh. 2015, Europe got so big that it included 
Australia. Australia. Australia's in Europe and we're not. <laughs> no, 2015 that was, 2015. <laughs> Why did Australia? Because they um, love it. Just because they love it yeah. so much. And they went, oh, right, you can be in it. I think it's great. They went, oh, right, Australia can be in it. that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, why not? I oh, mean, God. I know it's called Eurovision, but it doesn't matter, does it? And everyone's so thinking, those... oh, my God, if they win it, does that mean everyone's got to go all the way over there? Um, <laughs> but always, you know, big rainbow flags flying and the Australian had a big sort of gay community yeah. that loved it as well. But there was a sort of controversy because you're only allowed to wave flags. They decided you're only allowed to wave the national flags of countries entering. And they went, oh, oh, and the EU right. flag, you can fly that. Right, so no Welsh flag, or no rainbow flag. All right, you can have rainbow flag right, and Welsh yeah. flag. All right, can we have the uh, independence for Nagorno-Karabakh? Oh, I just want peace. I just want everyone to be happy. <laughs> um, we all just wave white yeah. flags and that's done with it. <laughs> and then Paul Ross, uh, is it Surrey in 2016? There was a stage invasion. and Yes. Uh, uh, protests about Nazis in the British media, which ruined her yeah. entry, poor thing. She was, the, she was off the chance to go again, but she uh, she didn't take it. I think she probably no. knew England wasn't going to win it anymore anyway. Well, yeah, it's a bit pointless at that point, isn't it? Yeah. You're not gonna... Although yeah. maybe if she'd gone again and smashed it, people might have felt sorry for her. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, yeah. Eurovision today, all, you know, full of outrageous acts and it's, it's sort of almost imploding in its campness and it's sort of... It's uh, a bit... I mean, I sort of... I stopped watching it yeah. quite a while ago and I think... I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's as enjoyable now because it's so self-aware. I think yes. it was more fun when it was sort of unintentionally yes, it, yes. It was on the cusp. sort of camp and, yeah. or, 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 you know, didn't have that self-awareness. Whereas Trying now, too I, hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sort of got, you know, you've got uh, joke acts and heavy metal acts from Scandinavia and it's a long, long way from the stage show of the 1950s. And it's becoming increasingly sexual yeah. as well with sort of leather jock straps. I don't know if you Google, look up on YouTube. Uh, the- sorry, John, I just have to point out at this moment that in your notes that you've sent me, you've you've referred to them as jock traps, oh, I which I think is a much better, <laughs> much better name. Leather for jock them. traps. <laughs> um, check out the um, Polish milkmaids in 2014. You've oh, never God, saw yeah, such was, a soft I mean, porn act. Come on, she's churning the butter. Like there's some sort of imagery going on there. I can't quite get it as the pole goes so- up and down in her hands and her. Uh, heaving it's bosoms like lunged towards the camera. sort of levels of... Yeah. In fact, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, the sexuality is so overt now that there was a lesbian kiss and Turkey pulled out uh, in uh, mm. 2014, I think it was, when they realised that... When they that, knew that was going to happen, didn't they? Yeah. Or maybe they just thought Britain's putting in Engelbert Humperdinck and we're out of here. I don't know. See you later. But <laughs> I forgot a... we'd done that, you know. God, yeah. But over the decades, it's been a, it's been a mirror by which you could see... Mm how Europe has changed and how England's standing in Europe has declined, uh, the respect yeah. for in which we're held, which is a sad sort of um, signifier. Yeah. Uh, I think that's also why a lot of us are lost interest in it because you just, you're just like, well, we're never going to win it again. We're never going to win. <laughs> we're not going to, it's not fair because it's not done like, you know, at least when you watch the Eurovision, the football competition, you think we either win or lose, but you know that it's yeah. going to be uh, countries voting for each other and yeah. um, it's not on the basis of how good the song is. Mm. I think we've I think we've skipped along through eighty years or whatever it is seventy years of Eurovision. Yeah. There got a couple of stats to finish on. Go on. If you're uh, fifty two countries in total have participated at least once. Wow, it's quite a lot, isn't it? Uh, Germany's competed more times than any other country. They've only they've only missed one. Okay. Um, and Ireland, of course, we know holds the record for the most victories, having won seven times in total, Come on including now. Johnny Logan, who won twice. Yeah. Um, and in the 1990s, they had four victories in five years. That's amazing. 
and, well done, and Ireland. actually it's quite amazing as well because that really reflected in the 90s their economy was starting to boom yeah and you it? had a uh, real sort of boom time and they were winning football the, matches sort of... with the, the, the late Jack Charlton and you had Father Ted yeah. coming along it was a great it was a great time it was to a be great time great time to be from Maidenhead Angela yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the phrase plastic paddy, plastic that... paddy yeah. <laughs> thank you eurovision for entertaining us thank you everyone for listening over the last 28 episodes of this series yes we're gonna take a little break we've got stuff to get done it's it's really fun researching these episodes but it does mean i get absolutely nothing else done <laughs> i know and i haven't read a novel for bloody months because i'm sitting there reading histories of Eurovision or the Black yeah. Death. My wife's going, what are you reading? It's like, I'm reading about uh, the yeah, Spanish Civil War. It's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's light. <laughs> so thank you for See, your I'm comments. I'm going to read some Mills and Boone. Keep it light for a bit. Yeah, but keep you can keep yeah, listening to them do, and recommending and them to your friends. keep engaging with us on Twitter and stuff because we do read them and we do make a list of the things you want to hear about. And, and yeah. um, we will be back. That's an absolute promise. We'll be, we'll be we'll, back in September. We'll be back in the autumn. So have a lovely summer. Thank you to Spike, our producer. Stay safe. Stay safe. I hope things yes. are easing up a bit when we are, wear a mask and just... Yeah, uh, wear a bloody uh, mask. Stay alert. That's the advice yes. I follow from the... <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go down that road. All right. Um, and we'll see you in the autumn. We'll see you. We'll see you then. We'll play Ooh. out now. We'll play out now with a little piece. Oh, just play for... out with a bit of a little piece. We'll do that for you, Angela. Oh, see you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So wie ein Feuer, ein eisiger Wind, wie eine Puppe, die keiner mehr mag, fühl ich mich an manchem Tag. Dann seh ich die Wolken, die über uns sind, und höre die Schreie der Vögel im Wind. Ich sing auf Salz vor dem Dunkel mein Lied, und hoffe, dass nichts geschieht. Yeah.